Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog to learn. How's it going, everyone? This is the Ultimate Catalog Clash. We're back for another episode, another album we're starting today. Um, the album that we are starting today is the third album in the sort of Phil Collins-led era of Genesis. And then there were three, and we'll talk about where that title comes from. Uh, my name's Kevin Brown. I'm one of your co-hosts. And the other co-host on this show is the hardest working man in podcasting, Corey Morissette. How's it going today, Corey? Hey, I'm still here. Uh, I, I don't know what show I'm on. Is this, is this the Aerosmith one? <laughs> You don't sound like John, but and you're not as cranky. So I like this. We're going to keep going. Whatever this band is, I'll talk about them. <laughs> Excellent. Um, good day for you today, too. I guess the uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, your your beloved Rough Riders, won today in one of the worst football games <laughs> ever staged, and they won it in the most Canadian way possible. They won it with the with the rouge, which is a very Canadian rule where we reward the kickers in this league for missing stuff by just giving them a mercy point. How very Canadian! Oh, you fucked that up, did you? Well, here's a point. Just is that really on? Yeah, but it was on oh. a kickoff. But what they did though is they kicked it over the head of the. Uh, kick returner who obviously was American and doesn't understand that rule because in American football uh, when it goes in the end zone on a kickoff it's just a touchback they get it on the 20 yard line but yeah. in Canadian football it's a rouge and it's a point so it was tied 11-11 with a minute to go we kick it in the end zone the American returner just kind of let it go kind of walked in the end zone took it oh, took a knee so you just gave up the winning point because wow uh, yeah, Edmonton was able to get it close to field goal range, and then they threw an interception uh, to seal it. So Saskatchewan barely got away with a win in one of the most idiotically coached games I've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's been a good day for me because I, I, I've been working from home today, and I watched, I think, about an hour and a half of the second, third, sorry, Ashes test between Australia and England cricket. Very boring for North Americans. I mean, five days. No idea how that sport after. works. No, <laughs> no idea. Most people don't. Most of the people who play it don't. Um, and then, and then Wimbledon because Wimbledon's on right now. Yes. So I was watching Mr. Murray. So I've been. Uh, it's been a good day for me, sports wise. Good. And you're cheering for all the Canadians at Wimbledon, right? I'm um, absolutely. Yeah. Good, good. I mean, they've got a hell of a lot more chance than any of the Brits. Let's be honest. Ooh, burn. I don't follow ball. tennis that close. I, I'm I'm kind of like uh, Randy. Uh, I I don't follow your British ways. <laughs> Randy doesn't watch any sports. He doesn't care about any sports, really. He's just a cantankerous old fucker. That guy. Well, he, he, about gets, everything. he gets forced to go to them to work, right? So when you know when you yeah. sit in a fucking hockey rink for six hours and it's just like, oh god damn it, Are they, they're still playing. Like holy shit. Yeah, I, I, I can't really enjoy watching hockey anymore because I've shot so much of it. It's like it's just it's PTSD at this point. <laughs> so what album are we talking about today? We touched on it off the top, but maybe give us a little bit of background, Corey. We're doing dot, 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 a lowercase, and then there were three dot, dot, dot. Which has the weirdest, uh, oh, their font on the cover. I wanted to ask you about this, because if you've seen the cover of this album, yeah. uh, the cover itself is kind of cool, but their logo, uh, they have kind of Genesis in their old-timey Genesis font, but the G and half of the E are in green, and the rest is all in kind of this thin font. What the hell is up with that? Did their uh, designer like have a stroke halfway through designing the cover? Uh, Corey, it's an artistic decision. Well, you don't get it, man. You just don't get it. Um, no, the don't. lime green represents the futility of... No, I don't know. Fuck. Um, <laughs> it is an aesthetic thing, but I, I don't know what it's... I, I, you know what? I bet you it does mean something. And if I sat down for long enough, I could probably try and figure some of it out. 
but fuck divino is the short answer I, I i tried looking into it and i couldn't find anything but it's been bugging me all day looking at that cover i'm like you know just just have the normal band logo in there with the title and, and that cover image would have been pretty cool it's uh, a weird but, it is a couple of weird cover though too because it's you know, it really is yeah. spread out and then it was i guess the colors in it is a it's a road and it's time lapsed is where they get those sort of flowy colors from so like oh, all right it has nothing to do with the album at all, uh, of course. And then there were three uh, references to the fact that Steve Hackett uh, left the group uh, around this time, uh, had enough of Tony Banks' bullshit, just like Peter Gabriel decided to call it a day. <laughs> and uh, Mike Rutherford, Tony Banks, and Phil Collins decided, we're just going to carry on as a three-piece. And you know what? That worked out, I think, pretty okay for them. Well, it's that thing of, like they said, you know, well, we bring someone else in. Now we've got to get someone up to speed with the way we do things. It's going to be a ball ache. It's a pain in the ass. Let's just because Rutherford plays guitar, right? I mean, he's not he's not Steve Hackett, but he plays guitar. So is and I think it was probably on balance. I think probably was the best decision. Oh, I agree. And it also brought uh, Daryl Strummer to the band for their uh, their live sets, who is just an amazing guitar player. And Mike Rutherford decided I'm I'm going to keep playing bass on all the early stuff, but on then there were three and post I'll play guitar. So they needed to find somebody who could play bass and guitar which Daryl Sturmer does pretty well. In his sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, whatever, in the one documentary I was watching, I think it was the uh, uh, the, the Come Rain or Shine, the live one from the uh, reunion tour in 2007, where Sturmer's like, you know, the, the, these old guys, they don't like to rehearse. I rehearse like hours and hours every single day to be able to do yeah. what I can do. These guys don't like to. Uh, so when, when they fuck up, they get, they get very mad. And then, you know, then Sturmer's <laughs> kind of just sitting there twiddling his thumbs because he's doing his part perfect. Yeah, yeah. But, I don't mind it. <laughs> yeah, but the other three, not so much. I thought that was pretty funny. Well, some of those songs, I mean, you know, we'll get into. On, there's a, a specific song on this album where, if you're not practicing this one, you're just not going to be able to fucking play it, man, because it's too complicated. Oh, even the the first song on the on the album, uh, Chester Thompson couldn't get it down because yeah. of this, this stupid fucked up time signature that Genesis breaks out every once in a while. And uh, apparently, I re- reading an interview with uh, Mike Rutherford, he was saying Phil was trying to explain it to him, and he just made it worse. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, again, a guy like Chester Thompson who plays polyrhythms and he plays jazz and jazz fusion, all those, he's getting lost. Yeah. That's just some pretty fucking complicated stuff, buddy. Pretentious music. That's that's kind of what it comes music, down to. Pretentious people. <laughs> but this is kind of the, this is kind of leading into the era of Genesis that I really love. Uh when it was the three of them and they're doing the shorter songs, more accessible songs, less pretentious songs. Uh we get the beginnings of that here, but uh, they're, they're kind of dipping their toe in both lakes here, right? You, they're dipping it into the pop world a little bit and still in the prog world. And it, it makes for a very interesting listening experience. And I want to tip my hand on how I voted anything here, but um, yeah. it was it was definitely eclectic. Well, I think we can say that, I think we were safe saying that this album is uneven mm-hmm. in that regard, right? Where you've got, like you said, you've got those bits where they're still kind of hanging on to the prog, but they're not quite sure how far they can let go. Then you get a couple of songs on there that are, pretty straight pop songs that are phenomenal and it's that's light bulb i think goes off. i think relative even talks about that with oh i can actually write a short song then i don't have to do the seven eight nine minute epics i can write something punchy and short and that's, that's pretty simple so i think yeah like you said that it's, it's that this is the first real sort of glimpse of what's coming i think you know we had um what was the, the song on the last album on wind and Wuthering, um your own special way right Yes. Yeah. Um, but even that had that middle section that had that, it's got prog roots where now we've got follow you, follow me on this one. That's that real confident step forward, I think, into chart music. Yes. And uh, again, I don't want to tip my hand and let you know what I thought of follow you, follow you me, but it's uh, by far the favorite song we've covered on the show for myself. <laughs> there it is. I, I didn't tip my hand, did I? 
I mean, it's tipped. The, the hand has been tipped, Corey. People know where you vote me, though. But that's okay. We've got 10 other songs to talk about on this record. That's right. Yeah, 10 songs uh, for the first time in a, well, 11 total. Uh, Tony Bank realized, hey, maybe people don't want 17 fucking minute epics about <laughs> about mice and cats and, and horse shit like that. And a lot more accessible. Like, we still have a seven-minute track on here, a six-minute track, yeah. a couple of fives. But it's definitely a lot better than uh, Winded Withering was. Yeah, and just in terms of sort of, I think one of the other things I'd, I'd read somewhere, they said they, they wanted to get more ideas onto the record. Because, you know, when you when you do do, when everything's 10, 8, 7, 10 minutes, those kinds of lens, you can only really do six things, right? Yeah. Six, seven things, because then you just run out of space. And, of course, this is back in the day, you know, the day, the year that we love, Corey, the day of the vinyl, then you really have to be focused on, because unless you're going to do a double album release, which then jacks the price up, which affects album sales and record companies don't like doing it. Um, you've really got to be considerate about, okay, well, really, we've only got 47, 48 minutes, probably. We can stretch it a bit further, we need to, but that's about what we're playing with, right? So, Yeah, and they're still getting right close to that hour mark uh, with 11 tracks here. Yeah. So uh, I, I give a lot of credit, though, for showing some restraint and dialing some back. There are a couple of songs that are still too long, though. <laughs> <laughs> says you says you says me yeah the non-prog guy <laughs> well why don't we start why don't we start dig into side a so this episode is gonna be side a folks so if you're new to the show what we do is we um we pick one artist per season um and then so each side of the album and we're doing this based on the vinyl track listing when we have it i don't know what we're gonna do when we get into the digital age when they didn't release vinyl Corey. we'll just have to split it somewhere yeah we'll just split um, it and we just so we do those- side a a lot of those nowadays have uh, vinyl reissues and stuff, so we can kind of go by that track listing. Yeah. So we side A, side B, um, and we have a rating system, so we can give each uh, a side of the album a score, which then gives us a total score that we think the album deserves. Um, we then combine those scores for then a total score, which is out of 100. And we'll sort of uh, we'll get into it at the end of, the, of this episode. We'll tell you what the scores are, or you'll hear it. Um, and then we have a little mechanism, and we're not going to reveal that yet, by which we will decide which is the next artist we're going to do. So there is a little bit of competitiveness between me and Corey about choosing the next artist, and we've got the sort of Damocles hanging over me, certainly, at the moment, in terms of what Corey thinks he's going to pick. And I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, so we gotta, we got to figure this out. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I got two. I got, do I want to be nice to Kevin Choice? And <laughs> I definitely don't want to be nice to Kevin Choice. And I, I go back and forth, depending on the day, which one I want to go with. So I am pretty confident uh, in, in my choice of, of, of winning this thing. Okay. I, I, I think I've maybe dialed you in. And I, I hopefully I was able to narrow it because I, I weighed a lot of factors into which album and what we're going to do, folks, is we're going to guess, try and guess which album is going to get the highest rating out of the entire show. Uh, so no, knowing Kevin uh, as well as I do, uh, I man, I, I, I struggled. I made spreadsheets. Uh, I had pie charts, all sorts of things to come <laughs> up with, with with my selection. But I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm 80 percent confident. How are you? Conf- are you confident in uh, your choice? I was confident, but then he said pie, and now I got distracted. Now I just want pie. Oh, so, sorry, yeah. Damn, I can yeah, go for some pie. I'm, I'm hungry again now. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm pretty confident, but but again, this is one where I think this is going to be easier when you're when it's an artist that one of us is a big fan of, and one of us is a more casual fan. Because I'm a bit close to this. You know what I mean? So I yep. love a lot of stuff off a lot of these albums. So it's a, it's a bit harder for me to think, well, fuck. Well, I know which one Corey's loves most, but we've already eliminated that one. And we should say that we always, <laughs> we're going to eliminate one album from each artist, just, you know, basically the biggest art, biggest album. So if it's Guns N' Roses, we're not going to be able to pick Appetite for Destruction. Um, if it's um, Van Halen, we wouldn't be able to pick Van Halen 3, right? So just the best album from that uh, band we have to get rid of. So Yeah, the biggest, the best by far, Van Halen 3, <laughs> Appetite. They're in the same league. Like, I mean... <laughs> 
it's apples to apples at that point. But yes, um, I'm very confident in my choice. We even have a tiebreaker. And what do we think is going to be uh, the highest rated song? Isn't that what we did? We did. Yeah. yeah. And our, our judge, we have a judge who's holding on to these selections and not letting us know. I've been needling him, too, because I do a podcast with him saying, hey, you want to just let me know what Kevin <laughs> picked? And no, he's been very, very straight-laced, very above the board. So He's unimpeachable. The unimpeachable Scott Haskin. That's right. Yeah. Haskin. No S. Haskin. Haskin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you really want to piss him off, just go Haskins. <laughs> what was it? There was another one he said, though, that someone called him once. I don't know. I say- yeah. <laughs> we call him that on the Aerosmith show all the time. <laughs> oh, bless no, there, there, there was another one, but I, I don't remember what it is. Scott's had a lot of he, man. That that guy's lived a life. He's been stabbed. Uh, he's been shot at, and that's just working at the Seven Eleven. Uh, God, he, he he's got stories upon stories. That man. That's not. That's not even. He's not even learned in Prince Albert. I mean, Jesus, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Moose Jaw, but both work. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, why don't we kick off this episode um, by looking at the first song and listening to it also? Because, you know, as this is an audio medium, not a visual medium, I think listening to it would be more advisable than looking at it. What a novel approach. This is why you're the brains of the operation. Let's listen to a little bit of Down and Out, the first track from And Then There Were Three. I'm already bored. <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of like if you you know we we think back to the eleventh Earl of Mar from Wyndham Wuthering, it's a very similar thing, right? It's a very gradual, typical. Oh yeah, I, we're we're prog rockers, so we're gonna take you know half an hour to get this fucking thing going. So here's Tony Banks playing three notes for five minutes, but that's what it feels but like. It, it really does, and it doesn't fit what the song is about. I, I don't feel it's a very straightforward song about. Uh, you know, the record company and, and how they deal with artists. And it's actually kind of like the stupid mouse song from last week um, <laughs> where it, it switches, the narrator switches from, from cat to mouse during the song. Yeah. This switches from record company exec to artist. So the record company exec is, is the verses. That's what they're saying. And the artists or the musicians are, are playing the chorus. Absolutely. This um, is also the one that uh, Chester Thompson had a, a hard time with uh, because of the time signature. So I was going to skip ahead uh, to 39 here and we can get a taste of, of that time signature. This is another one where before Phil starts singing, if you're listening to this on the record, you're thinking my needle's skipping. Yeah, because it's it's so strange. And I still don't know how to count this. I've never looked at the sheet music. I don't know what time it's actually in, but it's it's probably something, one of those stupid, like, you know, 11, 16 or something. It's, it's such a weird count. And it's one of those that I think that maybe that's where when you're trying to explain to a drummer how to play it or you're trying to, to anyone how to play it, it's, you almost sort of have to feel it. 
rather than count it. Like I did a, I played drums on a, a friend of mine's song, Chris Klein, song called Solidarity. And that's a pretty straight four, four on the floor or four, four, but it's got this weird hitch step in it where you can't actually really count it. And it comes in at odd times and it's, it's super cool, but that's when I just, I gave up trying to count it. I, was like, I know where it is. I know when I come in and I'm just going to play it that way. So this is similar to that where you kind of just have to know where it flows. Exactly. The hitch kind of happens, I think, organically, kind of in the same spot, it feels like. But yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even dare to try and count this fucking thing. I'm just going to get you to skip it, because right, right now there's a lot of reverb on Colin's vocal too, right? It's very atmospheric here. But then when you get to, it's about 131 or just after that, um, you get sort of a, a sonic dropout and then you, that dynamic change really lets Colin's vocal clarify and it sounds, it just sounds so crystal clear in that bit. So, and that's definitely a deliberate sort of little bit of production, so. Absolutely. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out just on this was, uh, at first I thought they were talking about Steve Hackett. Uh, I don't want to beat about the bush, but none of us are getting any younger. There are people out there who could take your place, a more commercial view, a fresher face. Uh, it, <laughs> like, are, are they digging at Steve there a little bit? But no, it was more the, the record company thing. But yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've never thought about that before. A more Imagine commercial like, view, a fresher face, especially like, yeah, because that's Imagine kind of like, the road they go down. I want to buy the record, see how the guys are doing. What the fuck? <laughs> Very Bastard. first song. Yeah. It's like John Lennon when he was uh, slagging off Paul uh, on a solo mm -hmm. record there. Yeah. How do you sleep? What do you think of Phil's vocals? Like uh, on this track and on this record, I thought were miles better than what he put out on the last album. When I made a note on a song later on, definitely that that's a, uh, where it gets closer to what you think Phil Collins' voice sounds like on the on his solo records and all those types of things and on Invisible Touch, where he doesn't. I think he's still doing a little bit of that affectation, that sort of he's playing on Pete Gabriel the way he would sing things, really stepping into his falsetto stuff, where he kind of found his level. Maybe on the next record, actually, is where it really sort of locks in. But I definitely think his vocals are better on this one, for sure. Perfect. Uh, I wanted to go up to a 210 next, unless you have one before then. Same one. Yeah, so that's your chorus, right? So that's what the, again, it's the flipping the the perspective. But again, it's what Genesis does well when they they don't just change the riff or the tempo. It's it's the whole mood changes there where it flips into that major key, right? Because we had minor key and it's all been a bit foreboding up to that point, and now it just clarifies. And I love that. It, they lean into that a little bit on this album in places where it gets a little bit unsay repetitive, um, but I think it gets a wee bit overdone. But in this one, right off right off the top, because it's so quite chaotic um to get this nice break into this section i think it's i think it works really well 
And I, I really find it kind of cool too, that they're the narrator is switching perspective. Like we're switching from, you know, label executives who are swarmy and asshole, you know, that thing to musicians or, or the artists uh, in the song. Uh, it should have worked this cool in the cat and mouse song from the last record, but it just didn't land for me. This one, I think it's landing a little better for me. Fair play. Fair play. I like, I like the mouse song, but yeah. <laughs> I know you do my friend. All right. I had a three thirty-five. We got a keyboard solo. Do you want to go? Man, before we're, we're picking all, I just wanted to really quickly, we got a two fifty-one for me. There's just a little bit in here and it's where, it's Phil. I mean, we're going to be talking about Phil Collins drumming a lot because we're both drummers and the guy's a legend. And it's where it's it's in the second half of this section. But just listen how much this motherfucker's playing in this little bit here. It's incredible. You know, we on my Van Halen show, we just covered uh, this is in the past now. Uh, Get up from fifty one fifty, and Alex is playing that much. Uh, on yep. that track and so i think it's kind of cool in the same week i'm recording two shows where the drummer's going nuts on a track like that Blind. so fast so cool but what it, the, the cool thing too though is and i would say the same with both of them it doesn't overpower the track they're still playing there's a lot of notes in them they're playing a lot of notes but they're all necessary notes they're not just wanking off they're playing for the song still they're just playing a lot yeah no you save the wanking for tony banks and that's coming up here <laughs> at 3.35. Again, Phil's doing a lot of cool shit behind him. You can barely hear him, though, because Tony's just jacking off all over the keyboard. Well, and Mike as well. I mean, Mike, this is a, this is a great bass album. There's a few songs this record you think, whoa, this is insane. And again, he's not he's not doing a ton, but those little the, the they're not triplets, but the doubles on the bass, like to match the kick, that to do those little bits, they're not easy to play, and to keep them in time in that weird time signature. So I, they're all the overall thing is great. I love that solo. I'm a keyboard nerd. That my my first instrument was keyboard. Um, it it does it for me. It does it for me. I, I would have preferred to have a, a preferred to have a Mike Rutherford guitar solo over that section. Uh, but but this one was okay. Uh, out of all the Tony Banks solos that I've, I've ragged on so far, uh, th th this one definitely isn't the worst. It's funny because there's a song later on that we'll cover, and I think it's actually on side two next week, um, where I'd written down exactly the same thing. I thought, you know what? I think this is one instance. I think that would have been a better guitar solo. And actually, even if the guitar had played the same notes that Banks did, I think it would have sounded better. But Yeah. Uh, my next one, I had uh, 401. Give her. This is my favorite part of the song, how they went into this chorus, because like Phil's doing more and really standing out. The bass is really sounding cool. Even Tony yeah. had a really cool moment on, I think it was on They'll Run Right Past You, where he he did a cool little thing. I don't even know what the fuck you would call it, but it just sounded neat. Like the Genesis is really cooking here for me. And every, you know, this is what Genesis, when, when they're in this mode, when they're in prog mode, it's really dense. You know, to really pick apart and tease apart these songs, you'd, you'd almost have to really sort of, you know, split the channels left and right to hear what they're doing that way. But you'd have to spend a lot of time sitting down because there's a ton of shit going on. Even in a sim seemingly simple passage or even a transition passage, they're throwing the fucking kitchen sink at it every time, right? 
Yep. All right. Uh, that's all I had for timestamps on this one. How about you, Kev? Just 448 because there's a fucking killer drum fill. It's just, it's just one little drum fill that I just think is absolutely sublime. And it's a little bit past it. I always go about two seconds before, but... Perfect. How many toms on that roll there? Is Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> that's Roger Taylor level tomery. No, no kidding. Yeah. Good comparison there. All right. Uh, down and out. Uh, played 39 times. Uh, I guess because they couldn't teach Chester how to play it on the drums. That's why it wasn't played more. Yeah. But uh, I, I really kind of dug this song. I'll, I'll go right into the ratings here. Uh, musically, uh, I gave it a, a six uh, because there's no guitars on this thing that I could tell. Uh, I was missing some guitars, and uh, Tony Banks is just playing way too long. Like the, the, his solo, <laughs> you could cut a minute out. That's fine. Uh, lyrically, I gave it an eight. I really like the perspective of the musician versus the record label exec because that's yeah. always such a – a contentious relationship. I thought that was really kind of cool. Lyrically, they did some fun stuff. And uh, for uh, production, I gave it three and a half. Uh, it sounds really cool. Um, a couple of moments are kind of buried in the mix a little bit. Tony's way too high compared to everybody else. I wish I was le leveled out a little bit, but I understand the band dynamic, and that's why it was that way. And you can cut a minute out of this thing, and it would still be good. Cut it out <laughs> of Tony Solo, for crying out loud. So I gave it a six, an eight, and a three and a half. How about you, Kev? I went, man, to me, this is just musically, this is just peak Genesis. There's everything I want from Genesis. I want 10 because I just, there's nothing in this song I don't like musically. Um, I like a bit of wanking on the keyboard. I not wanking on the keyboards. That's going to create a mess. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Wanking with the key. No, that's even worse. Let's just leave that. Let's stop talking about wanking. <laughs> no, but I, I like that. And I love Colin's drums on this are just, again, it's another sort of, another song you could throw at someone who doesn't rate Phil Collins as a drum and say, well, listen to this and then tell me what you think. Lyrics, yeah, a seven I went with. It's, it's ominous, you know? It's got that sort of very nasty, undercurrent to it from the exec standpoint and i love that line though i don't talk around corners it's right between the eyes it's a great way of saying you know i'm a no-nonsense person i don't stand for any bullshit so i love that bit production yeah again for me 4.5 because i i don't think this track needs a ton of guitar i think because of the that wall of sound that you've got from phil collins and mike rutherford and then with, with banks throwing all the little arpeggios and things in there if you put a guitar in as well i think it might muddy it so yeah i went 10 7 and four and a half for this one you know, that's a fair point. I just think for the for the mood of the song and the subject matter of the song, could use the guitar somewhere. Well, you could hear you could hear Rush doing this, right? Yeah, and then yeah. no keyboards, and then having having you know Alex Lifeson play in two or three guitar parts, and instead would probably work the same way and probably still be cool, right? So, yeah. Anyway, it was a really good way to kick off the album. I thought, um, especially coming after a couple of epic tracks that came on the uh, first two albums we covered on this show. But that leads us into a track number two, uh, a song called Undertow. Let's check it out. What the hell? There's no two-minute musical interlude coming in. We just bang right in with vocals. Like, what a refreshing change of pace. And and who wrote this, Corey? Oh, Mr. Tony, Mr. Mr. Tony Banks wrote this. So. I, know, I know. I couldn't believe it. I had to check that like three or four different times. Like, who wrote this? You sure it wasn't Phil? <laughs> So then I, I heard the lyrics and then I realized very plainly who wrote this because Tony Banks writes very dense, pretentious. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a big fan of him lyrically. I, I, I got to say the curtains are drawn. Now the fire warms the room. Meanwhile, outside wind from the Northeast chills the air. Like, fuck off. 
Are you, are you doing an English accent or having a stroke, Corey? Just because if you're having a stroke, I need to get medics there. <laughs> no, that was my dog having a stroke and barking while I'm on the air here because he's too old and fat to get down the stairs, and i got to text my wife to get the damn dog. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think that Banks definitely got better as a lyricist as he went on, but... He was deliberate when he was doing these things, right? Because it was that sort of, it comes from that prog background and you do waffle. You do use expensive words. You do use more syllables than you've got room for in the rhyming scheme. So eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I land on it, really. I think I've just got way, my feet are way further over in the prog camp than yours. So I think I'm a little bit more forgiving of it. So gotcha. See, I, I like, like, you know, verses that rhyme, that have some sort of rhyming scheme to it. I like verses that make sense. Um, there, 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 there's a couple songs on here that just make no earthly sense. I don't care how much you try and read into it. It's just fucking weird. Uh, you know, and, and th this one isn't as bad as, as a couple others we're going to get to a little bit later. When I, I mean, I had written down too, though, lyrically very dense, yeah. you know, and the sort of, but it's, it's that thing where you, you know, like Bon Jovi, each line is basically sort of a, a standalone clause. You were born to be my baby. I was born to be your man. I mean, you, you could read those together, but. Banks are sort of, you know, the leaves were green in the sky and the trees were, you know what I mean? So it's, it's run-on sentences broken up into into the different parts, which works when you're writing in weird time signatures and you're sort of protracting things, but eh, it's a little bit harder, a, lot, a, lot, a little bit harder to hum, I guess. You know, there, there, there's, there's academic lyrics and then there's non-pretentious like uh, you know everybody in queen had a phd it seemed like and they didn't write pretentious music but tony banks always seems like uh, i'm above you commoners you know li listen to my beautiful stanza yeah. and you know i, ju I just want to hurl a bag of flaming shit at him <laughs> just avoid the keyboards do it when he's walked away from the keyboards don't <laughs> damage the keyboards he's got enough bloody keyboards he could stand to lose one or two he I needs guess. them all <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we keep going on this here? Do you have a time you want to? I, I marked uh, 49 seconds in because the drums actually kick in at that point. Same as me. <laughs> okay. Funny, both drummers want to hear when the drums come in. Yeah. yeah. And you don't get a ton of swing always in Genesis, right? Or in, in prog either because it's a very, it's quite mathematical and it can be quite mechanical in the rhythm sometimes, but that's just a lovely swing. And he's sitting on the ride and just keeping that spacey ride going. It's lush, gorgeous. Well, that's one word for it, I suppose, sure. You had a different word for it? What was your adjective? <laughs> Pretentious? <laughs> well, not lush. Uh, not, oh, okay. But, but the, the, a lot of songs on this album... Um, tipping my hand here a little bit uh, i put the word boring beside i didn't know this one though because it did have that little bit of swing to it okay let's go to um 141 Corey. unless you have something before nope that's perfect That's the only bit, because when he sings that first line, I think, whoa, that's cool. That sounds like Phil Collins. When he sings that next line where, the, where the, it goes up that key, that's where I kind of want him to belt it. Mm -hmm. But he goes to his falsetto always, right? And I think it's that thing where he was just a bit reserved on these first albums where he wasn't quite sure whether he should really go for it. Now, of course, he rips that playbook up 
you know, completely later on in the catalogue. But he's just a little bit reserved and you just want him to really push that over the edge there. But it's still cool. That Let Me Live Again is such a satisfying line. Yeah, uh, I had that exact note written down. I wish Phil would have belted something there because yeah, on Visible Touch, he would have just cranked that fucker, right? She mm-hmm. has a built-in ability. Like, right, he's really projecting himself. But yeah, maybe a little self-conscious still. Three albums in as the lead singer of Genesis. Um, Spring must strike again against the shield of winter as a Canadian. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> like, that's that's so pretentious. <laughs> but it, yeah, Spring must strike again. But let me feel, yeah, so let me feel once more the arms of love surrender. That's a good line, Corey. That's, that's you know, the, the third line. In the, you know, it's all right. Come on. Telling Tell me, me the, the dangers past. past. I need not fear the icy blast again. Oh, my God. <laughs> Get out of your ass, Tony. Come on. Shot <laughs> through the you. heart and you're to blame. <laughs> you give love a bad name. That's a lyric. Louie, Louie. Whoa. <laughs> we got to go. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now we're talking music. Man, maybe I'm going to pick Bon Jovi uh, if I win this season here. We'll see. I got things to say about Bon Jovi. Don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's our next timestamp here? I just had 319 was was the last one, really. Okay. And it's another drum fill. Shocking. So super short, but again, I think that's where what I love about Phil Collins, he's a really musical drummer. So he could have kept going there. He could have dragged that through for the rest of the bar, but he knows when to just, you know, I'll put this in. There's a little flavor, just a little color, and then I'll back it back out again. I just like that little ending, but, but there's not, I, I, didn't wish, have, I didn't write a ton of notes for this one. Me either. I, I wish that was more prominent. Like Phil's such a good drummer. Like that, that's one thing Van Halen does well is that they're going to put Alex up front sometimes. Even when <laughs> Eddie's ripping a really good solo, uh, Alex is still nice and high in the mix. Here we get like even that uh, really cool run we heard on Down and Out you know, you really got to kind of strain to hear it all because yeah. it's so long and it's just the rundown, but because Tony's like, listen to my horse shit. And no, I, w- I want to, I want to get more <laughs> Phil. Like Phil's, you know, my hero in this band. Like yeah, you know, for, for me, it definitely goes uh, Phil Collins, Mike Rutherford, very close. And then there's a huge gap. And then Tony <laughs> Banks. <laughs> Tony Banks is one of my heroes growing up too, because I play, again, I played keyboards. I was, I wanted to be Tony Banks, man. Like I thought I used to try and write songs like Tony Banks and I'd get, I'd get about eight bars and think, Oh no, I can't play any of this that's in my head. I'm just not good enough. You know? So see, and I wanted to be Phil Collins. I want to play the drums, uh, uh, be bald and look cool and write shit like Susudio <laughs> that doesn't mean anything and make it be a number one hit. Like, <laughs> all right. So I think that's all we got for undertow here. I, I wrote down one more line that I thought was really fucking stupid. Uh, wine flow from flask. To ass and mouth. What's he? Why is he pouring wine in his ass and then going to, ass to mouth? To glass and mouth. Oh, did I misunderstand that? I, I think I could have swore <laughs> wine flow from flask to ass and mouth, which I get is popular in some sectors. And I didn't know that you Brits were that funky, to be honest. But... No, it's the Romans. It's the Romans who were into all that shit, all that hedonistic oh. shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Undertow. Uh, Kevin, why don't you kick us off with the voting here? So yeah, I never played live, which slightly surprised me. I thought this might have made a couple of appearances on the at least the yeah. tour and support the album. It's definitely um, more palatable than a lot of the other stuff. So to play live, uh, something like this, I think fits better than uh, even something like Down and Out. Yeah, it's just like I said, it's an, for me, it's just a nice sort of gentle album track. It's not a single, you know, it's not a standout um, with a very typically offbeat uh, Tony Banks lyric. Music, simple structure. Yeah, you basically intro, verse, chorus, interlude, repeat. The guitars are further up in the mix than this one a little bit. Um, so I give it a seven musically. 
I actually like the lyrics. So again, this is this is the point of contention, I think, with most of these uh, proggy stuff. So I went seven with the lyrics, which I know you're going to be nowhere near. And a four for production, because like, again, I think it, it sounds really good and this one doesn't suffer from any bloat. I think if you go back six years, five, six years, I think there's another five minutes in this song in the middle and it goes off into some random thing, right? So I think they did keep it concise. I think it, and it's all the better for it. So I went seven, seven, and four. All right. And actually, we're really close on this one. Musically, I gave it an eight. Uh, I thought music, I really like how the band sounded on this. I love kind of the sore uh, into the chorus, like especially with Phil's vocals. Again, yeah. he could have belted a little more, but he sounds great on this. Um, lyrically, I gave it a six, which pretty generous the way I was talking. Uh, I think you just gave it a seven. <laughs> uh, there there are some decent lines in here, uh, but we're safe in each other's embrace. All fears go as I look on your face. That's all good stuff. So I'll give Tony yeah. his props there. And production, I also gave it a four. And again, uh, full kudos to Tony Banks for keeping this thing to 447. Like, you, you know, you can tell he wanted to start that with an 18-minute keyboard solo <laughs> to start the song, but he showed he showed real restraint, and I appreciate that. So eight, six, and four, those are my grades. Perfect. The next song on this album is really different for Genesis. I think it's probably, to this point, it's the most different-sounding Genesis song that they'd done, to be perfectly honest, so... This thing, yeah, it was totally unexpected. It's called The Ballad of Big. Uh, they played it 21 times. Let's check it out. So again foreboding let's just build the tension i think you know i'll accept that i think genesis does this a little bit too much sometimes i think that this song in particular like you know when you get to invisible touch and we can't dance they would have started this song at a very specific point none of this would have been here right so if you just skip it on i don't know where we'd have to go to probably about, is it about 30 seconds when it actually kicks in fully not too sure exactly where it sort of where it breaks probably yeah uh, my first time stamp was uh, at the chorus so let's try okay. 30 seconds here So Tommy used to work on the docks, and apparently Big Jim Cooley <laughs> commanded respect. He said, "What is it with with the Brits' obsession with westerns and and the old west? Because here's uh, you know more pretentious Brits sing, singing about uh, cowboys. <laughs> well, because it's it's you know when you live in a, a place that's sixty five million people packed into the an area the size of fucking Walmart." You dream of wide open spaces and the West I is guess. this glamorous place, right? So I think that's where it comes from. It's the, and the cowboy hats and the belt buckles, they're pretty cool. It must be exciting for you to live in Saskatchewan then because we have some outlaw history. Actually, down by my neck of the woods are the Sam Kelly outlaw caves where people like Billy the Kid used to hang out and stuff like that. Uh, and you can yeah. still go visit those. So it's kind of cool outlaw history in the uh, southern part of the province here. We've also got no end of fucking space. <laughs> so. yeah, that's true. I tell you, no big Jim Cooley, though. Uh, whatever he wanted, he could get the badge on his waistcoat shone in the sun. Do you, I tell you, you know, no cowboy ever talked like that. There's, there's two songs that this kind of always sort of reminds me of a little bit for, for, for specific reasons. One is a Phil Collins song, Don't Lose My Number, because mm-hmm. that's a similar kind of westerny type of renegade thing. And it's in a minor key, it's got a bit of a shuffle to it. Um, and the other one is, do you know a song called You Don't Mess Around with Jim by Jim Crochet? Yep. Because so, the same kind of thing is this the gym the, the character the you know big is 
he's a big sort of larger than life. He's a man's man, right? He's a manly man. He's a, he's a sheriff or something like that. He's, he's got to be a lawmaker. Um, so he's got this presence. And so I always kind of relate those two things. You don't fuck around with Jim or you don't fuck around with Big either. Although someone does at the end of this song. Oh, the ending of the song is the worst part. Let, let's get to a 108. Uh, we have a tempo change going into the chorus. I mean, at risk of beating this to death, Corey, Phil's drums just sound fantastic there. And that part is playing. He's never dull here. Like, he never just sits no. on the... Unless it's something like, you know, We'll Get to Many Too Many or Follow You, Follow Me or some of those songs where it's a ballad and you can't be too busy. He's so good. He's so clever. And this is where, you know, when we get on to Meta the Metallica season, this is the, one of the main points of sort of criticism I have for Lars Ulrich. He never gets that balance right for me. He sometimes plays too much when he shouldn't be doing. He doesn't sometimes play enough when he could be doing so. Anyway, Ooh, that's a fair point. I can't wait to do that season now. Um, <laughs> w w general feel of the song doesn't feel very westerny to me. Maybe it's because I live in Western Canada, and I mean, ever since birth, we've been inundated with with, with Western imagery and Western yeah. sounds and stuff. This doesn't call. Back, this is very much three Brits who watched a John Wayne movie and wrote a song about it. <laughs> Well, there's no slide guitar in it. There's no fiddle. There's no yeehaw. You know, no one's dogs died. Everyone's still got their house. It's not been foreclosed, you know. Even just the melody and the keyboard yeah. in it. Like, it's so anti-Western. I, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, was there any... I wanted to go next to uh, 215, if that's okay. Works for me. I just thought that that transition was very jarring and not very well executed. I don't know if that fits in this style of song. I know that's a Genesis kind of staple at this point. Yeah. And a lot of times they do these odd transitions really kind of cool. This one didn't work for me. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got the exact note written for a, a different song later on that one. I don't, maybe I just know, again, maybe I know the song too well that I just know where it's going. The one thing that I'd written down a bit in this section though, is when he comes back into that next verse, you listen to the ride bell. And you get that sort of that, you know, it's not a cowbell, but it's kind of simulating. It gives you that sort of tink mm -hmm. tinkling sort of metallic thing. It just sounds, it's so fucking cool. <laughs> all right. Did you have another time on this one here? I didn't know. I'd actually written down that it's um it's metallic and not at all a shimmery symbol sound. So um, that's oh. a, a callback to something else though, you know. To our, our drum expert friend, John Mariano yeah. and, and his shimmery drums. Absolutely. Uh, some of these lyrics uh, really kind of jumped out at me. Uh, basically the, the, the story of the song uh, out on the trail, Jim and his crew, um, they, they get ambushed by an all-star crew of Indians, like an all-star Indian tribe, which I didn't even know was a thing. How do you get all-star status, uh, you know, within, like, say, the Cree or the Ojibwe or, or something like that? I have no idea. But they're basically just murdered in their sleep, which such a dumb way to, to kind of end this story of Big Jim. Make it cool. Make him go out in a blaze of glory. Like, he yeah. comes out of his, his tent with his uh, six shooters, and he gets taken down by... by uh, uh, native Canadians, uh, I guess, if you were trying to be politically correct here. I thought that was really just a dumb way to end it. Well, and it's it's sort of, I, I do, you know, you wouldn't, I don't think you would write this this way uh, in uh, in 2023, right? Because it's a very sort of stereotypical, you know, the cowardly, 
savage sort of stink you know what i mean so that's a bit problematic i don't yeah again i mean coming from i, I can sort of i can argue that a perspective on this that i don't think you could if you're canadian i don't think you can defend it english people just don't have that history with it where up until like when i was growing up indians were you know feather headdress and they were fighting the cowboys on films so we had no concept of what indigenous people and their their history is, is like right so i think that detachment from that and not knowing that history and you just really it is a movie reel right is what they're writing here it's a it's a sort of a, a treatment for a for a movie so i can sort mm-hmm. of i can think i can rationalize it a little bit so see and, and that's very interesting because as a canadian in western canada growing up you're always kind of told that it was never the the indians that would jump people in their sleep or, or be underhanded that was always yeah. the you know the uh, the white man who would do that yeah. kind of thing. So uh, the fact that it was flipped, yeah, maybe just kind of shows that, you know, th- these are three British dudes who are kind of getting all their Western culture from, you know, TV and movies and, th- and that kind of thing. So whereas here, you know, we actually, you know, get to go to reserves and, and talk to elders and know a little bit more about the history. And yeah, it wouldn't be the Indians that are, are, are you know, stabbing guys in their sleep. It'd be the other way around. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, my last one here is 407. Because Tony's like, okay, Phil, you've had your moment in the sun. You wrote this little cowboy song. Uh, we need fucking dueling keyboards to end it. Can you just or roll you... it back just a wee bit, though, to 355? Oh, I think it's about 357 where it comes in. But Because Tony throws this beautiful little descending running on the keyboard. It just sounds it sounds so rich. Like, it just adds this. Again, It's that's not that. Keyboard tone hasn't been anywhere else in the song. Nothing like that sonically has turned up. So it's just this little bit. I'm going to throw this in just at the tail end. So, yeah. All right. Um, Tony, Mike Rutherford here. Do you want me to throw some guitars or something on the end of this track? Uh, it's a big Western cowboy song. Fuck no! I want to do dueling keyboards. Uh, I am, I am absolutely full up on this English accent. I got to tell you, it's fantastic. This is making my nuts. Oh man, I've had a lot of whiskey. If I'm breaking all power out. to it. I thought my Mike Rutherford wasn't bad though, because he's very mumbly. Oh, here's my defense a little bit of certainly this album is you've got to remember Corey that now Mike Rutherford's taking guitar right so I think he's more willing to just say Tony do you want to play something here because I don't really know what I want to play or I'm not too sure if I can make it work so I think we do get a lot more keyboard on this album than certainly we would on later albums you still get tons of keyboard it's, it's fucking Tony Banks is only in the band right but obviously you, you, get, you, you get a better balance later but yeah but but on the western song the cowboy song throw some acoustic in there throw some slide in there like uh you know <laughs> make it at least try and sound western this is as far away from western as you can get yeah fair enough fair enough all right ballad of big played 21 times uh, for music, <laughs> I gave it a 5.5 because there's way too much Tony on a Western song, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, lyrically, a 7. Uh, Phil is telling a story, and I always dig when Phil Collins tells me a story. Uh, he, lyrically, I think he's pretty cool. I don't like how it ended. That's why I didn't get higher on lyrics for me because Big Jim just goes out like a bitch uh, being stabbed <laughs> in his sleep. And uh, production, 2.5, because to me, the mix is all kinds of muddy here, like okay. especially at, at the end, like vocals are buried. Uh, even, uh, and you know, everything's buried except for the keyboards. Jesus, Tony, get out of your own way, buddy. 
But um, so I, I gave it to just kind of passing marks on that one, 2.5. So Ballad okay. of Big gets a 5.5 for music, 7 for lyrics, and a 2.5 for production. Uh, Kevin Brown, are you giving all 10s again? No, 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 no. I don't think I've any, any all tens on this album, I don't think. But um, I get eight, I went eight for music because it's a phenomenal baseline, which we didn't actually talk about. We probably should have done a little bit more. Um, there's, I think there's a good variety between the verses and choruses. I do like how that's changed up, you know, with that very clearly defined, really sort of ominous galloping. It's almost like a galloping thing, right? Doom, 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 doom. And then it breaks into the major key. So I like that. Um, I think, it's a, like you, it's a really good example of Phil Collins writing a story. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd written down there, like, don't lose my number. It's the same thing. Um, production? I thought the mix was okay on this one. I don't know that I really have too many production problems in that sense on this whole album. I don't think there's a ton of fat on the bones. I mean, again, it's prog. So. Um, if you want to turn off the last 45 seconds, yeah, you could do for sure. But I quite like that synth leader in the outro. So I went um, eight for music, seven for lyrics, and 3.5 production. All right. Sounds good. So that leads us now to uh, Scott Haskins' favorite Phil Collins song. He actually called this out on a podcast I did with him. Where he said, my favorite Phil Collins song is Snowbound. And like, I don't think that's not a Phil Collins song. I'm pretty sure that's a Genesis song. And it is. And it's on this album. So, Scott, if you're listening, uh, prepare to be amazed. Uh, this is Snowbound. And Kevin's asleep, and I don't blame him. <laughs> I, look... I am going to tip my hand here. I don't really want to talk about this song for too long, Corey. Um, <laughs> it just annoys me for the most part. Um, it was never played live. And when you listen to the, if, you, if you've never heard this song, folks, give it a listen. I mean, it's not Beautiful Girls by Extreme. It doesn't make me want to go out and burn the world and kill everyone in it. Um, but it doesn't make me want to listen to it again. So so I didn't, I didn't make a ton of notes for this one. Collins and Rutherford described this as a romantic song. With lyrics about a man who wears a snowman outfit to hide from people, but while inside becomes part. It's like it's about a fucking snowman and snowball fights. I know. Come like, on. What the fuck was that? I literally I put musically quite nice, lyrically what the fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we should. You know, what we should do, Corey. We should read a few. You know, let's not. Let's not spend too long. Let's not dwell on this song too long. Okay. But uh, I, I I did want to skip ahead to the chorus because that's okay. at least something uh, different in this song here. So, uh, if you'll indulge me, we'll play a few seconds of the chorus. Okay. Kevin, uh, th this is Scott Haskins' favorite Phil Collins song, Snowbound. I just can't believe that. Is that, like, is that for real? Like, that's, he said yeah. the Snowbound. Wow. Because yeah. I, I didn't even think when he said Snowbound, I'm like, pretty sure that's not on a Phil Collins' uh, solo record. I've never heard that title before no. because I've, I haven't listened to this album. I've only heard one song off this album, and it wasn't Snowbound. So when I saw it on the track list, when I was listening to it today, I'm like, great. Uh, Scott loved this song. And Scott and I just did a, an entire series of podcasts on Thunder. Uh, their album Backstreet Symphony, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. He hated it. Like he doesn't like that band at all. He said, "Oh, for rock and roll, it's fine." He, I thought he would, he leans more proggy. Wow, uh, to stuff like like Snowbound. So I'm kind of shocked that you're kind of with me in in your disdain for this track. I mean, okay, the only skip, and we don't need to skip to it. But the only skip, uh, the only point that I had that I wanted to move to was 418, and I went to I went to wanted to go to 418 because then there's only 13 seconds left <laughs> because this song is so boring. Yeah, it is. Like, I know that you find a lot of prog, you know, it doesn't move in the same way. But for me, this musically, it doesn't move. 
There's no bridge section really. There's there's no no one's doing anything interesting. The lyrics are just trite and facile and stupid. It's the second worst lyric in the Genesis catalog for me. And when we get to the other one, I'm just gonna fucking I am gonna torch that one hard. You better um, not be illegal alien. But fuck no, are you kidding me? It's a great song. <laughs> And Rutherford's guitar is, you know, it, it just gets completely washed out. Maybe, you know, actually, maybe this could have worked as a song if it was just acoustic guitar and piano. Maybe that would have changed it. Because this, to me, is just, it's like fucking Jean-Michel Jarre or Yanni or something. It's like, oh, for fuck's sakes. See, and musically, can... I thought it was quite nice. I, I thought it was kind of okay. a nice juxtaposition of the rest of the album. I actually gave it very high marks on the music. Okay. And and Phil's voice, too. Like, he's singing horseshit. Hey, there's a snowman. Like, fuck <laughs> off. But it, the way he's singing it is quite nice. So, uh, musically, I gave it an 8.5, actually. It's my highest wow. grade. Yeah, my highest grade on side one uh, of this record. Uh, lyrically, I, I mean, maybe I'm hearing Scott in my head. I was quite nice. I gave it a 5. Uh, it's fucking terrible. Uh, <laughs> like you said, uh, someone who wears a snowman outfit to hide from people... But while inside, he becomes paranoid and finds he can't get out of the snowman suit. Who writes a song about that? That's fucking stupid. That's even worse than the lyrics. The yes. explanation of the lyrics is worse than the lyrics. <laughs> like, oh what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I feel like scratching out that five and putting a two, but I, I put a five when I listened to it. And production, actually, because I thought it was mixed better than the last couple of songs, I gave it a four. So kind of on default, it gets an eight and a half for music because the band is good. Four okay. for production, but a five for lyrics. And I really should have marked that lower. Uh, what were your scores on this one? Well, I, I mean, I'll, as a last sort of swing, in, swing at this thing, I, this it always feels to me that it's like the, the people who wrote Frozen, they just sent the movie out and the treatment said, this is what this is the movie. It's snow themed. Let's just garner a bunch of, you know, and this is the one that everyone's like in the office. Fucking listen to this bullshit that someone sent in. We're never going to use it, but just listen to this. <laughs> I mean, I, I panned this. This is one of the weakest songs in the whole catalog. And I, and I actually, it's one of the few Genesis songs that I really actively dislike. So I went music to lyrics to production one. Fuck this song. <laughs> I hate this song. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, and, and somewhere Scott Haskins in Las Vegas right now, just stewing like, oh, that's that fucking British Saskatoonian son of a bitch. Well, here's, here's the thing with it, though, right? I mean, you can accuse Genesis of a lot of things. Pretentious, 100%. You know, overlong, inaccessible. Yeah. Dull? Not usually, right? But this song is, just never goes anywhere. So, yeah, no, I, I just like, let's move on. <laughs> it's funny out of all the songs i put boring beside this was not one of them kind of kind of surprised me actually uh the last song on side a is a song called burning rope let's check it out So this is that seven minute song that, yeah. you, you know, you could probably trim that intro a little bit because we're still what we're 20 seconds in and it still hasn't really got going. It, it's still just kind of, you know, jerking you off. Yeah. Right. At this point. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff I'm not a, not, not a big fan of. Well, and this, this song, like a lot of the songs off this album, actually, apart from the, you know, the, the big sort of the songs that would have a bit of longevity, pretty much all of them were only played either on the tour in 78 to support the album or that tour and the following tour. So the, the Duke tour too, right? So played 88 times, I think. Um, and they were all in 78 on the, on, on uh, support of that tour. Now, Tony Banks did say that he actually did shorten this 
fairly considerably because he didn't want to write one for the Vine again and didn't want to draw comparisons to that song. And he said, like, I've already done that, which is quite funny because he does do a few more 10-minute songs in the catalogue, and which, hey, are fucking great, by the way. Um, but I find that funny that he was he was quite conscious of that and trying to, trying to change things. And again, we said that, you know, they're trying to get more ideas in, so let's cut three minutes off. And I think that actually some of the intro that he had written ended up on a different song, maybe on a solo album or something. If I remember right, I might be remembering that wrong, but I think that might be true. Um, I thought that was uh, Undertow. Was that Undertow? That, okay. The beginning of Undertow went on a solo album. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, I knew it was something off this. My memory, Corey. And I don't write enough things down. One thing I thought was interesting is that this song seemingly starts with the chorus. Because it's, and which I thought was interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen that before, where your first uh, lyrics in the, in the song are, are actually the chorus. Shot to the heart, you're to blame. You give love a bad name. That doesn't count. That that, that that's kind of a, a, a pre intro. It's the fucking lyrics. <laughs> it's a pre intro. It's not part of the song. The song kicks in with the guitar. <laughs> we're going to turn to the Bon Jovi podcast if we're not careful here. So. <laughs> I got face. I just wanted to play that epic drum roll there because yeah, <laughs> there's a few on this album, man. Where oh, it's man. just like whoa, and I don't even think it ended when I stopped this the the song nope. there. Like it was still going underneath. You just can't really hear it so much. But I wanted to skip ahead uh, to a minute forty six if you're cool with that. And this is where the uh, the first <laughs> verse kicks in. In typical Tony Banks uh, lyrical fashion, I don't know what the fuck this song is about. <laughs> what is this song about? It's so pretend. Yet only eagles seem to pass on through the words of love, the cries of hate. Like, oh, blow it out your fucking pretentious ass. <laughs> to me, I mean, it, okay, it's really weird. It's Tony Banks. But to me, and, and this is going to sound even more pretentious again, it's sort of, I've always interpreted this about being, it's about the transience of life and sort of that you got to live in the moment you know, because everything is eventually going to crumble to dust, as it sort of sort of does in this song. So it's that it's that copy at the end that's that seize the moment thing. I think that's what I take from this song. Is it? I think so. I don't know. Oh man, I I, I read these lyrics like five times and I couldn't figure out what the fuck this song was about. Like, oh my god. <laughs> There's literally one line of the song is "You're old." I'm like, yes, I am. I don't get the hell you're saying, Tony Banks. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to skip ahead to 308, unless you had one before then. Let me look here. Yeah, that's that's good for me. Yeah. So the drums are cool, but to me, the song isn't very engaging, either okay. melodically or lyrically. Like it, it doesn't draw you in. Okay, uh, it, it's again very like th it's very repetitive, which is kind of weird in a Genesis song, especially in this era. They're usually very inventive and in, in going in many different places. Very repetitive up to this point, but I just didn't find it. You're not really engaging an audience when you're talking above them all the time, and, and you're playing their, this style of melody. I don't know. It, it just never connected with. Yeah, and again, I, 
we're not gonna have to say it for too much longer because we are heading out of the prog era eventually but that's kind of what prog is like it's more it's a lot of scene setting it's a lot of mood you know it's it's, it's very instrumental in places so again i think i'm just attuned to it because this song to me isn't it's not even that long really i mean it's seven minutes, but I, I this one doesn't drag for me. Um, but so, but play a little bit more because I'd actually written down three twenty six as my next as my next piece that I want to listen to. So perfect. That's where we paused it. Here we go. There's two things about that that I like. One is that, again, it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a throwback to the Gabriel era, 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 where he would have played that on flute. So it's Tony Banks kind of simulating that. And I think, is this the 2017 re? It's not, is it? No, I don't think it is. No, it's not the remix, but because it's, it's a doubled, it's, it's doubling the, you know, the, the synth line. But I like that flute, that full flute kind of thing he's doing. And then, then you get Mike Rutherford's guitar. And there is a little bit of guitar in this song. And you There's get those nice. Solo. There's a guitar sound, a fucking great guitar solo, which is my next point. But I like that we've now got, you can actually hear Mike's guitar, right? Because it does provide that sort of, oh, they are a rock band, right? It's not just this yes. weird sort of, you know. I wish that would have built to something a little bigger because it felt like we were moving someplace that we're going to get like a big bad moment. Instead, we came back down. So yeah. we, we didn't get that kind of ebb and flow that you would expect or that you would anticipate. It's almost like a good story, right? You want the rising action, and then the climax, and then the denouement. So we had this rising action, and then it just kind of it went, it dropped again before we ever got to any sort of climax. Which I don't know about you, I enjoy climaxes. So you, you got the to... fact that this song is giving me major blue balls. You've got to. Uh, I mean, you, you're dropping the fifty dollars words on a on a Thursday night. Fucking denouement. Look at him. Was it? Wasn't she in? Um, wasn't one of those uh, soft Emmanuel softborn movie? No, that's that's the storytelling. One hundred and one. You you know this, right? You have your rising action, your climax, and your denouement. The the kind of falling action. Right? So. I don't. I don't have a denouement. I sold it. <laughs> All right. I wanted to go to the guitar solo because finally, fuck, we got Mike Rutherford slaying some electric guitar here. Let's hear it. So we should listen to most of that because it's almost all the guitar we're getting on the album, right? So <laughs> things I and, like about that. Oh, go ahead, sorry. I, I just wanted to say we, we just started getting into the second part of that. And that's when it starts getting buried in the mix again. Like, yeah. you know, Mike was up front there in that first part and it sounded great. Then we had that nice little drum roll and I thought, oh man, they're going to kick it in a second gear here. And instead they, they bury the guitars in the mix on the second half. And that just bummed me out. It's kind of cool that I, I like the tone because it's it's got just enough crunch on it, but it's not like super fuzzed or or you know or heavy. Um, and he's playing a very melodic. It's not a he's not shredding. That's a, you know it's it's a, a thought out solo, and it fits the it fits the piece. But there's all there's also that little bit of dissonance in there where it sounds like he's dropped a clam and he's played a bum note. 
but it's not. I mean, he's, he's playing, and you know what? Mike Rutherford will tell you exactly what mode that's in. It's the Mixolydian sixth fucking augmented eleventh or whatever it is that I don't know. Um, but it sounds it's that just like, oh, that's a bit weird and a bit dissonant. But it's I like that because it it sort of snaps you out of this sort of reverie that you've been sitting in a little bit, right? And we're we're kind of into a like a dull funk at this point. Uh, dull was the main point I had about this song. Like okay, m- melodically, lyrically, especially you know again not engaging very dull when the guitars kick in i perk up like oh my god here we got some 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 guitar and mike's playing really well and then again how can we fuck that up let's bury it in the mix on the second half of, of his guitar solo <laughs> in this seven minute song that doesn't need to be this long um was there another timestamp you had i my next one was 636 uh i had that one as well but i did want to just just 504 because it's a really nice little like a stutter step piano part that tony plays in here That sounds simple, but he's behind, he's playing behind, or I think actually no, I think he's playing a little bit ahead of the beat, and it's just those weird little things that Genesis do that when you're trying to learn things like that as a as a kid or as an avid sort of player of any instruments, fuck, I just can't get the timing of that. I don't know where, how he's doing that. I don't, I can't find it, you know. But it's just again, it's that little, just that little thing that just, only in this part of the song, just as that little transition piece, where I think is is kind of neat. Professional musicians can't find like like figure out <laughs> how to play that. Like Chester Thompson's listening to this album, going, how the fuck do you do that? Well, yeah, it was very cool. Um, and again, it's just kind of them. Does it service the song or is he showing off? Bit of both. <laughs> does it service the song? I'm going to ask again because this song, again, <laughs> I don't know. All right, I wanted to go to 636. We had a little uh, tempo changer. So I had I if they would have went like double time earlier in the song, mm-hmm. it might have made it more interesting. Uh, my main note on this one was it needs to be more interesting to justify the runtime. If you're gonna have a seven minute song, uh, you need to do more stuff like that to kind of keep it engaging, keep it interesting. I, I think it was a song like American Idiot by Green Day, which is a big long epic. Or sorry, Jesus of Suburbia is like eight or nine minutes long. Okay. And there's like three different sections of that song that they put together, make a little mini rock opera. If you're going to have a seven-minute song, you, you need to have different movements uh, in the song. You, you put it here at the end with, you know, 20 seconds left to go in the song, which is cool. You know, maybe put that in, in the first third and then, you know, do a, rep- a reprise of that later on in the yeah. song just to try and liven it up a little. Well, you know, and, and they did that lots, right? So you think about Domino, you think about Driving the yeah. Last Spike or Fading yep. Lights or any of those songs. They, they could do that. So, no, I, I, that's completely valid. Yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Domino is um, a perfect example because, you know, that that there's different movements in that song all over the place, and they're all fantastic. Well, and then I, it's cool, too, because the, that last bit that you played there, and it's that and the man in the moon... What's it is who seduced you or was something what's the word what's the lyric there? Yeah, and the man in the moon who seduced you, then finally lose you. Because in the the rest of the courses, and the man in the moon who's like it's that bounce that they get going. And here they subvert it and they take it straight into that double time piece. It's not quite double time, it's just a little bit quicker. But again, that's just that little they just they throw so much in. They throw so many little just curveballs in. Like you said, I mean, maybe they didn't do it 
sectionally in this song for you where the the sections themselves didn't move around enough but there's always something interesting in Genesis song this is where this is where Snowbound lost me because there was none of this in that song there's not yeah. one single thing in that song that's like oh that's kind of cool it's just the same fucking thing over and over again so maybe that's why I rated it higher because it didn't do that too much <laughs> <laughs> it was more it was more straightforward yeah. uh, you, it, this is so cool that my uh, taste in Genesis are so different from yours that I like it when they just play like a straight ahead song and, yeah. and played impeccably and perfectly, and it's fantastic. Where you like, oh, throw some weird shit in there that nobody knows what you're doing or yeah. why the fuck you're doing it. Just do it because you can. I don't know. Does it service the song is kind of what I always come back to. It depends on what kind of song you're writing. And again, this is where we're going to look at ad nauseum. We've said this already, but prog, like, fucking do 2112 by Rush. Does any of that need to be in there? No, and again, you know, that, that not, album's forty-eight minutes too long, right? So. You're not talking about one of my f- favorite Canadian bands, or I, I like and appreciate Rush very, very much, and yeah. I'm very, very proud they're Canadian. But that's—I don't think I own a single Rush album. <laughs> Do I? And I mean, it's a lot of this stuff is, you know, I don't. I'm not going to sit and listen to this song. It's not going to be in a mixtape with Illegal Alien throwing it all <laughs> away. You know what I mean? But yeah. if I'm going to pick up an album and I want to listen to some prog rock. And then there were three year Wind and Wuthering. That's going to be a couple of albums I'm definitely going to reach for. Chuck of the Tail certainly is going to be. But, you know, so that's just, again, you listen to it like classical or you listen to it like jazz or something. You don't really listen to it like rock and roll stuff. See, and I was surprised on A Trick of the Tail. That's an album I I actually found myself enjoying and one I kind of want to pick up now. And I'm not a prog rock guy, but they they did enough interesting things that for even just a layman idiot like me who likes four on the floor bar rock can be like, I can appreciate that. And, And they're doing really cool. Uh, because I thought it serviced the song in that instance. Uh, to me, um, Burning Rope, uh, all these little things don't service the song. Musically, I gave it a six, uh, I, and mostly because of the guitar solo, because we finally got some guitar, and I love yeah. Mike Rutherford on guitar, uh, but but then they bury it, and they're just it's too repetitive in sections, and they didn't do it enough in a seven-minute song to kind of justify it for me. Okay, uh, Lyrically, I gave it a five. More pretentious Tony Banks fuckery. <laughs> uh, don't live today for tomorrow like you were immortal. The only survivors on this world of ours are the warming sun, the cooling rain. No, like <laughs> make it make sense, Tony Banks. Take lessons from Phil and even Mike Rutherford. He has some great lyrics and he has some great lyrics coming up on this record. This isn't one of them. So I gave it a five for lyrics and uh song you know, for uh, production. I gave it a two and a half. It's too long. If it's going to be this long, make it interesting. It's really fucking dull. So a six, a five, and a two and a half. Kevin Brown, what were your scores? But I'm just going to, but it's funny that you just, something's just twigged in my mind. I fucking hate impressionist art. I can't stand abstract. I want you to paint something that I know what it is. Yeah. So, and it's yeah. obvious, and, and it's obvious that you know what you're doing, right? Yeah. But with lyrics, sometimes I quite like the abstract. Just, I'm going to give you a bunch of different phrases that kind of set up a mood rather than it's not a story it's not really a there's no thesis behind it sometimes i get that i i I get that if it makes sense (laughs) uh we we talked about this on the van halen show because david lee roth all of his lyrics tend to go towards fucking like that that's his whole milieu right it's all about sex (laughs) but he doesn't come out and say it all the time he'll he'll put stuff together that doesn't lyrically make sense yeah uh you know you know, straight ahead, but you get the context of it. If there was a context to the song, I'd be cool with it. There's another song. I don't know what the fuck it's about. Maybe, maybe what Tony Banks needed to, uh, the line he needs to put in was, did you miss me yet? <laughs> no, that's too creepy. <laughs> that is way too creepy. I'm glad he didn't do that. Okay. Well, I give this, I mean, I give this an eight. 
again, because I, I like this kind of stuff. I think it's a great bass line again from Mike. Um, it's another synth-led track. There's no other you know guitars in it apart from the solo. Um, and I think it's not quite as dense as you might usually expect from Tony Banks. Like I said, one from the vine, that one was... You know, if you're not a prog guy, that's a really difficult song to get through. There's a it, that's a tough song to get through. This one I think is a little bit a little bit more accessible. Um, like I said, I think the lyrics are I like them. Um, a lot of it works nicely, and overall, I wouldn't necessarily change anything. Um, production wise, Mike Rutherford's solo just sits right on top of everything else, and it's such a change that it's so welcome right on this side of the album to leave it as as the uh, I think it's the closer right. This is the last last track on yeah. side one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think really really works. And I think they were right not to add, you know, like another two and a half minutes into the middle of the song or the, the beginning of the song. So I went eight with music, six for lyrics. Because again, I mean, yeah, they're not the strongest lyrics Tony Banks or anyone else ever wrote. They're stronger than some Roger Taylor lyrics, I can quote. Um, and I went production four because, like I said, I I just like it. I have no other right. justification than that, Corey. No, and that's fine. So uh, my side eight averages... Uh, were seven for music, six for lyrics, and three for production, giving me a final grade of 16 out of 25, uh, which comes out to 64%. We were so, again, the average, no, no, Snowbound dragged this the fuck down yes. for me in every <laughs> regard, right? So I went seven music, six lyrics, 3.5 production. So my overall was, what is that then? 16 and a half 16 and a half yeah. yeah i think i rounded up to 17 overall though is what i said so okay so actually very close uh on side yeah. a of and then there were three uh kind of surprising i i kind of expected to like side a more because i thought okay here we got you know the the triumvirate right we got mike we got tony we got phil this is where shit's gonna start getting good yeah but a, a very like like you said an uneven album and a lot of uneven yeah. tracks even uh, especially in, in side a uh, and my score reflects that i, I was expecting uh to be at least in the 70 percentile here uh, on this side so i was a little disappointed in side a of uh, and then number three yeah i mean it's it's a difficult album because again it's another reset they've done two albums when gabriel's left and now they've got to pivot again and now they've lost Steve Hackett. So they've lost that guitar player who can throw in, you know, um, the start of Blood on the Rooftops or can do something super interesting and super cool. So they've had to change again. So I think that's where some of it comes from, right? So, yeah. So, you know what? Why don't we wrap it there? Because we've got another side of this album to do. Um, we don't want to bore these folks to death with our ramblings. So, you know what, folks? We are on Twitter and Facebook. Um, at Well, we're on Facebook at Ultimate Catalog Clash. And we're on Twitter at you catalog clash because there's a stupid fucking character limit for however much longer Twitter lasts. Maybe we'll be on what's the what's the new thing? Streams or what the hell is oh, that threads. new thing? Threads. It's called Threads. threads. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Which I always think of like as, as a dandy tailors. You know, I want to get some new threads. You know, exactly. So it, it works. It, that's the same uh, thing we have in Canada. Got to get some new threads. So yeah, it's common a... ground between the Brits and the Canadians. Like, <laughs> both in the Commonwealth. All hail the king, I guess. No, fuck that guy and his ears. <laughs> I hate that fucking guy. He's an idiot. <laughs> down with the monarchy. Absolutely. Down with the, down with pants. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, come join us next week, folks. We're going to talk about side B, uh, and yeah, I think it'll be fun. 